0: Hello, everybody. Just a quick disclaimer before this week's episode. As you know, we've been recording our episodes remotely lately due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So please excuse the slight dip in audio quality. I also wanted to give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, and medical professionals working every day to save lives. Y'all are the real heroes, and we love you. And now... Here's the show.
1: From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival.
0: Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody. Hope everybody is doing great and staying healthy. I want to take you all back real quick to the year 2011. I had gotten into my first major film festival. This was the Newport Beach Film Festival. And at this festival, I was lucky enough to see this fantastic horror comedy called Deadheads. And I got to meet the filmmakers, who were the Pierce Brothers. Flash forward to 2019, this past October, I'm at the Austin Film Festival. And I'm extremely drunk, as you are in Austin. And who do I run into? Once again, the Pierce Brothers, again, as they were promoting their new film, The Wretched which is currently playing at drive-ins all over the country and is also available to rent or buy on VOD. We are very happy to be joined by its writers and directors Drew and Brett Pierce. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having
0: us guys. That was crazy that I saw you guys at Austin. I was like, I think I've met those guys before. Yeah. And then I like <laughs> we were very tipsy too. <laughs> yeah. I did like a quick search on my phone and I was like, all right, that is those guys. So congrats on all the success of the film. Like being at Austin, that's a great festival. And now you guys, you know, got distribution and you're playing at Drive-ins, which is like how fun is that for a horror film to be like that's your guys', you know, mainstay, right? right now
1: oh it's perfect it's the greatest silver lining of all time for us (laughs) yeah it's a lot of fun and uh it's kind of the perfect movie for driving because it's uh you know just this roller coaster sort of horror creature feature it's kind of nice because we get to be like escapism while things are not you know things are a little scary out there it's like a little you know go have fun be safe sit in your car and like kind of feel a sense of kind of like Having a good time like you used to in a safe environment. It's a lot nicer and cooler than I thought it was going to be in a lot of ways. At first, I was worried about it when IFC first presented the idea of doing it, but they were only working with drive ins that were doing social distancing and, and being careful. So, it, it you know, they, they reassured us. And, you know, honestly, it's been really. Really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I saw it myself at a drive in, and it was a blast, and a lot was packed. Everybody was having a great time. Let's dive into that a little bit. Obviously, this wasn't the original plan. How did you guys and IFC switch gears and change your distribution plan? When did that happen?
1: Well, it's kind of probably a couple of weeks into COVID. We just, we all, we obviously, you know, like a weekend every Day was sort of different and nobody knew what was going to happen. You know, South by Southwest was closing up and we started doing, as you lead up to the release with IFC, they're, they've been amazing. We do like a weekly call where we round up all of their team, every department and kind of talk through all the details. And <laughs> they were panicked. They were in complete panic mode because they had a ton of releases and different things that they were sort of dealing with and trying to figure out how to manage it. Right. Wow. But yeah, that's when they proposed the idea. Like there are a couple of drive-ins open and there's more opening. You know, is that something we kind of want to pursue? We'd love to pursue and at the time, we were just like really iffy on it. Yeah, it, ju- it just kind of slowly developed and kind of we realized it would be safe and like a cool way to release our movie. Yeah, and we kind of we started with like initially the plan was to release us in theaters like traditional theaters, probably mm-hmm. only like 10 or 12 kind of a, a limited release in like Los Angeles, and New York and a few other places. And we just assumed that was wiped out. As soon as all this happened, you know, and, and for good reason, nobody should be going in the movie theater and sitting next to people. And then they presented this drive-in idea. And honestly, we're in 22 drive-ins now. So, and I think we're going to add some more. So in a weird way, I think we're getting a wider release. In drive-ins, yeah. just because they saw a lot of people, they missed going to the movies, and really the only safe way to go is to go to the drive-in. I think they're definitely. We we keep getting pictures from our friends and and just people like sending us you know random people we don't know just sending us pictures of the drive-ins and they're pretty packed even on weekdays. And I think it's just there's so many people that are at home and it's not even like a weekend thing. Like people can go any day of the week if they're off work because is a weekend right now. Yeah, yeah, work <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> are days anymore? Yeah. yeah, I went on yeah, Monday wow. night and it was packed. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, did you go to the Mission Tiki out here? Yeah, I went to Mission Tiki, yeah. Cool, I'm actually going to go tonight just because I went on the first night so I was just kind of curious because they just extended us another week there so we're there to like May 14th. So I was curious how it's doing now like a week later. So, well, it's good to know that Monday was packed. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
0: M- Monday was packed and the great thing about the mission Mich- like I grew up in Pomona which right next to Montclair and it's great that the Mission Tiki's ah. doing well again ah. because they were on the verge of closing. Oh, really? Last year they said this is going to be our last summer like oh, wow. we can't af- we can't- we're going to go bankrupt and I think somebody gave them a little bit of money to like make it to the end of the year. And as you mentioned, like Silver Lining, like I think that this COVID pandemic actually might have, if nothing else, it's going to probably close a lot of other theaters, but I think it saved that drive-in and probably a bunch of other drive-ins. Yeah, I
1: hope when like everything gets back to, you know, said normal that it's still doing well. And I mean, one of the things I kind of keep on thinking about, you know, so many people in this town are filmmakers or want to support independent film or see kind of the weird stuff or the different stuff. And they go to right. the Elmos and they go to all these other places locally. Man, we, I almost want to start contacting the people at the Mission Tiki to see if we can like create some double features on one of the screens, like on weekends that kind of caters to that group. Like maybe we can rope in some Absolutely. other buddies like Joe Bigos and, and Joe Lynch and Adam Green and all these guys that make stuff. Like if we can kind of create like a, a hosting kind of cultivated thing and maybe we can kind of make sure we to keep that crowd coming, you know, that absolutely. Really cool. That's yeah. a great idea. <laughs> yeah.
0: So let's dive into your guys' film, the wretched for those who haven't seen it or don't know about it, give the audience a quick rundown about your film.
1: The wretched is a horror film and it's about a teenage boy, a young man who moves in with his dad for the summer in kind of a quaint boating town in Northern Michigan And he becomes convinced that his next door neighbor is a witch and making her children disappear. And what unfolds is kind of a crazy horror mystery that's kind of based on like English folklore and like old witchy story, like fairy tales and stuff. So it's it's you know it's got a little Hansel and Gretel in there. It's got a little bit of the role dolls, the witches, and you know a good healthy portion of Fright Night.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah, that was one of my favorite things about the film is just, you know, the tone. You could I mean, you could see a lot of your guys influences in the film, you know, mm-hmm. Hitchcock and, you know, 80s and 90s horror films, but you guys balance very well the horror and the mystery with, you know, this teen movie kind of in a way that that just all feels very authentic and well balanced. How did you guys kind of set that tone with your whole creative team, because it's very consistent, you know, through your cinematography, your production design, it's beautifully, beautifully packaged.
1: Thanks. Yeah. I think we're always nervous and scared that the tone is going to feel like all over the place. Like I'm always nervous about that, but I think just naturally things tend to always shift and totally kind of move to the right place like mm-hmm. as you're producing it. And I think everybody, I mean, there's a lot of credit due to all of the, you know, the production designer and the makeup team and everybody that sort of pitched in to sort of create that feel, because I think they all have their own view of the movie. I I think it's something that happens a lot more organic than sort of because, uh, you know, movies, you know, you, you're obviously familiar with film production it's such a shit show. There's so many people coming in. You're just trying to like get those things that you're really excited about on screen. And I think sometimes like tonally, obviously when we wrote the script, we were going for something, but there's so many cooks in the kitchen when you have so many creative collaborators that like it's really hard to control that tone. You do the best you can and the actors you bring on are gonna throw it. I'm always happy we've heard that a lot that it feels like it has this really kind of special tone and consistent tone, but I just, I don't know if we deserve the credit, (laughs) you know? like I'm happy about it. i think i think we deserve a little bit true <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes we, we are we are in insane planners i'm my background is in animation i went to school for animation and i worked as an animator on like futurama and and did character design and stuff so we were we're crazy about storyboarding and pre-planning so i guess that probably has something to do with yeah. it But Well, I think we always kind of been able to go through the script right before we shoot and kind of find the worst tonal bumps that maybe kind of did like this. This one line or this little bit now feels a little out of place after looking at this over and over again. So I think we're, you know, we're we're really hard on our scripts. Like, honestly, I mean, Drew's harder on our scripts than anybody. I mean, I I have to fight to keep some things in that I think are really cool. And I really have to defend them and win that argument (laughs) to keep them in because he usually has a really good point of why something maybe should go. But I think also at the same time, like, I mean, Drew and I are a little weird in one way that we like, I like all types of horror movies. Like I like dark horror films. I like, you know, more art house horror films. I love, you know, I love child's play, which is the most silly, but awesomest horror film in the world. (laughs) But at the same time, I, I kind of, and Drew felt this way too, is we missed the kind of fun roller coaster ride horror movie that, it can obviously go to very dark places, but it can feature teenagers. It can have some levity. It can have moments that feel even leaning a little towards silly and still feel like a complete package. Cause if you watch a lot of the horror films that you love, there's a lot of, and even like Jordan Peele, man, like us and, and get out is full of comedy and full of kind of silliness that I love that I think works so well. And I think that's why, in a weird way, his movies have a broader appeal, even with the social messaging kind of like you know being in there, they have a broader appeal just because, guess what, those movies are fun when you break yeah. it down, you know. So, that we just kind of strive for that as best we can, just to kind of make a movie we want to see that you know, tonally feels kind of adventurous in some way.
0: Absolutely. Well, you guys pulled it off and, you know, to your credit, but also a credit to what you said. One place you want to get, you know, when you're making a movie, I think, is the movie starts to speak for itself, you know, especially when you're on set, you know, if you're looking through the monitor or something's happening in a scene, the movie tells you what needs to happen or like, you know, this line doesn't work, that that line really works, you know, this needs to happen. You know, when you set a movie up well as it seems like you guys have with your plan and whatnot the movie the movie does the walking and the talking for you which is a place that you want to get (laughs) you know when you're Mm -hmm. on
1: set yeah i think a lot of that too is you you realize like i mean i keep on talking about tone but you realize in the edit too the things that you need to get rid of that keep the tone in the right spot (laughs) so yeah so there's, there's like you know the first two edits of this movie were wildly all over the place and like you know like you've seen rough cuts you've had rough cuts of your own stuff it's awful i mean you watch it and you're like this movie's a mess and it doesn't make any sense
0: (laughs) you want to end you're like whoa why did we what have we done here
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. we should figure out how to pay back our investors somehow because we really (laughs) screwed them over no (laughs) it's the movie does find itself as long as you're willing to kind of keep you know chipping at it and carving at it and being brutal about it like we probably had like 25 different iterations of the edit that were all pretty fairly different and even when we thought we I think we thought we had finished the edit like three times like I remember like one time around Christmas we're like we're done we finished (laughs) guess what we were still cutting it like May later (laughs) (laughs) So, so and then even when we thought we really really finished we showed it one last time to like three people and usually we would show it to like 10 or 15 people at my apartment and we showed it to three people and my one buddy, Matthew Curry Holmes, he's a filmmaker. I uh, made a movie called. Oh, I know, Matthew. Yeah, Buckout Road. Really cool yeah. dude. Very smart with script and story and, and editing. And he made one suggestion to cut out one scene. And like, we did never even thought about it. And I was against it at first because it had been in the movie since the beginning. We really liked <laughs> the scene. And Drew literally, like, the next day is like, yeah, man, if we cut that out, I mean, the first act's gonna sing. It's going to be more, it's just going to work better. And I was like, oh, I don't know, man. You might be kind of crazy. So we went and we cut it out. So much better. Uh, I love it. The movie works so much better. Matt was so right. We owe him so much for that little suggestion. One scene, literally, like we, you know, the the, the first act is always kind of a slog, especially when you get into editing. It's always like, how fast can we make this? Are people going to like turn the channel? The one scene, it took people from saying, like, your movie is a little slow, it's a slow burn. That was sort of the feedback we were getting. And now people are like, it moves like a freight train. Like, it's it's just this constant, you know, tempo and this dread. And I think that one scene made all the difference. Boom. Shout out to Matthew Curry Holmes, our homie. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about your guys' production, you know, filming. You guys filmed this in
1: Michigan, right? Yeah, we we shot. Uh, Beautiful location. Uh, Traverse City, Yeah, Traverse City, Michigan, which is, you know, Tip of the lower peninsula. My in-laws live there. So I travel up there every summer and we'll, you know, there's a film festival that Michael Moore actually runs and it's, it's great. So I'll go up there and watch a bunch of movies, get inspired and hang out with my in-laws. And they run the local marina, well, the, they run the sailing school at the local marina. So we just, when I was, we were in in the process of writing The Wretched, I was up there and we had a completely different backdrop for the movie at the time. It was a small town, but it didn't have the marine aspect or any of that. And I was like, this is like pure production value. We have the advantage of we're from Michigan. It always makes it easier if you're from the location you shoot from. Because you kind of, right. locals are more likely to be like, sure, you can shoot here. Yeah, uh, you have some clout. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know somebody's you know third cousin or something. Uh, an indie movie like this, it's all-encompassing. It pulled in so much of my, our family and friends and people that were from Michigan just to help out like dozens and dozens of people chipping in and lending us stuff and free, you know, cars or places for people to stay. So it's just kind of endless. So that was sort of where that decision came from. And we just knew that backdrop was just gorgeous. And we wanted the movie to have kind of this idyllic feel the same way Jaws and Poltergeist and some of our favorite movies from like the 80s and 90s they start with this sort of like relaxing sort of like get to know the characters for the first act where horror movies have tended to go the way of like that's hit them with the the, the terrifying you know mm-hmm. creepy house right off the bat the last you know decade
0: right yeah no and I love that about your guys film it definitely had that nostalgic feel where you get to let's dive into the characters a little bit before we scare the pants off you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something Brett and I always just talk about with locations and stuff is we loved that that really bad movie City Slickers. I mean, it's not bad, it's fun. So, City Slickers <laughs> is great, True, I love that. Movie. <laughs> but City Slickers and there were a couple other movies we watched as kids but they almost felt like vacations because when you go you feel like you're like, you know, on a ranch and, you know, herding cattle across the country and it's it's something about horror movies, obviously it's great to feel tense. Like you also kind of want to feel like you're on vacation, that's sort of the advantage to like Jaws. You feel right, right, on Amity, (laughs) and we we wanted that for this movie totally. Oh, you guys pulled it off, it was great, and
0: it's great to to hear that you guys like had the family dynamic, you know, the small town feel. It it comes across on screen. I, I love shooting, like, you know, not in LA because you have. Opportunities to like incorporate the town and people, you know, get excited and they want to help and, you know, they're interested in what you're doing actually. Like, yeah, making a movie in LA, everybody's like, get off my
1: property. Yeah, get off my property.
0: <laughs> How much are you going to pay me? When is this? Yeah. yeah. What are you
1: done? When's the And right. I think it's also good to get out of LA, LA to shoot you. Not that you can't shoot a good movie in LA, but you kind of have LA brain when you're here. And then that's yeah. kind of like where you're like, you're constantly worried about like, you know, what people think of what you're doing, how you're going to get distro, do you have a big enough actor in it for people to care, all the aspects that don't have a whole lot to do with you just telling a good story. And when you kind of like take everybody out of this town, and for us, you know, stick us in the middle of nowhere, northern Michigan, like in the woods, like this property that's just a bed and breakfast kind of on this peninsula, it kind of lets you completely focus on just trying to make the movie work and you don't have to worry about, you know, all the stress of, do I have representation? Do do they know what I'm doing? And all this other stuff that just kind of like is always on everybody's mind out here. And I totally get it. Drew and I have stressed about it plenty of times, but you get this clarity when you just kind of get out there and you transport everybody out there. You're like the only people knowing what's going on or caring about what's going on. the only thing important right now is tomorrow needs to work. And then the next day needs to work and we need to get good stuff and we got to pull this off, you know, and that's, I think that's really helpful about getting out of this town because I love it here, but it's, It's refreshing, and it definitely, I think, benefits the movie and gives its own flavor too. I couldn't agree more.
0: Kind of piggybacking off of that, what is? I'm always curious to ask with director duos, especially you guys, brothers. How does your guys' dynamic work on set? You know, obviously, there's many successful director sibling duos out there, but how do you guys, in particular, kind of share the craft? What's what's y'all's approach?
1: By the time we're on set, we've talked through every aspect of the movie to nauseam so mm-hmm. we're kind of like the same brain at that point it's it's kind of pathetic like we we there's te- <laughs> Brett actually sometimes will like mouth the words coming out of my mouth because we've talked through the thing so many times or like the scene. So we work pretty seamless. Um, when we're working with actors, the one thing that we've sort of learned is that instead of overloading them with notes, we used to jump in and like be so excited to direct as you know new directors are. You're like, hey here, that's let me fire five notes at you. But the one thing we've sort of learned is to send like one of us as an ambassador to like talk to the actor. so it's just not overwhelming for him. I think it's always easier to talk to one of us at a time, and we kind of, we collaborate on our notes before we give them to the actors. One of the most helpful things we do is, like Drew said, because we've, you know, we storyboarded with the DP, Connor Murphy. We storyboarded the whole film, and we shot listed it all, like in Google Docs, so we all had it in our phone. But, you know, we didn't even need to reference it all the time, because going through that process, you just kind of inherently remember so much of it. And creepily, our, our DP was like, he had like a, you know, like a perfect memory, and just remembered every shot of the movie. He didn't even need to look at the list. Drew and I just always, like, probably about an hour, hour and a half before everybody shows up to set at call, we just review the script pages, we review view the shot list. We just talk about it. If there's anything we want to change. So it's just, honestly, if we just do our homework ahead of time, it, it becomes really, I don't want to say easy, but just like we have a good handle on it that we can talk to anybody about it. So the benefit is there's two of us. So you yeah. can be like, Hey man, I'm going to go talk to the makeup department because there's a small issue. We want to you know settle over here and, and, and sort this out. If you want to go talk to jameson about the scene he has some concerns you know kind i of of thing. you can divide and conquer all the time which is great and it doesn't really matter which one of us goes either way i think the reason why there's so many teams right now too is there is so much pressure and there's so much pressure to give an answer like right now and it's great to have two of us because there are i mean it's exhausting it's a marathon to make a movie it's it's non-stop for forever and i think having two of us it's sort of like If one of us isn't sure about our answer, we have the backup. We have the other one to bounce it off against (laughs) or like say, you know, do you think this will work? And sometimes it's easy to cave when somebody like pressures like, Hey, I need to know if I need to set deck this area to look like this. And sometimes you just want to cave and just give them an answer or you want to (laughs) give the wrong answer because it is it's there's so much going on and you have to but we're kind of also like the checks and balances for each other sometimes like brett will give an answer or i'll give an answer and a couple minutes later we'll be like that was the wrong answer i have to go fix that this is why it's so important and just to have that extra person that's in your brain sort of like really making sure that you're kind of Trying to achieve the highest level of what you're, you know, picturing in your mind two years previous, you know, that's, it's so crucial for us. That's
0: great to have that. I hadn't thought about that aspect being in two places at once. Well, and as you guys know, like some days it's just like, you know, on day whatever, 18,
1: your brain could get fried. <laughs> so yeah. It's- yeah. We always joke we give so many Braveheart speeches by the end of an independent film. You've, you've sort of rallied the crew and told them why they're so special and what's so great about this thing that you're doing. And you do that repeatedly throughout the entire process, especially if you're paying people sort of like a medium amount to do the thing, they have to love it the same right. way you do. And it's so much easier to have two people to give those speeches. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. The, time labor. the other bonus we had is that even though there were two of us, our DP, Connor Murphy was so invested in the film and also knew he knew the script so well, he knew the shot list. He knew the, he knew all the boards so well. That like it was even like we had a third person who was so much carrying so much of the heavy lifting too. Yeah, that like he was always pre-prepping the next scene so well to design the way we all three of us had kind of collaborated on. So it was also really nice to have him always ahead of the game with what we wanted to do. So even between us and the DP, once we started shooting. It was always short, quick conversations right before we did something because we already kind of knew exactly what we were trying to pull off. So that that was really helpful. We had storyboarded the entire movie and then talked and shot listed the entire movie. So we kind of going through your homework twice. And then on the day of shooting, usually Connor and some of them we tried to do beforehand. Connor and even I and Brett, we all had Artemis on our phones. It's this Mm -hmm. app that sort of you know creates a basically a replica frame of whatever camera you're using and legend package yeah. and we would go take screen grabs not necessarily some i mean we did a couple times even with the actors but we would get the, the frames exactly and sort of adjust we're basically elevating whatever the storyboards and shot lists sort of choices we made and sometimes that in that process we would be able to eliminate like one shot or two shots which can be so crucial on in an indie movie because that's one more shot you can get that's going to matter so it's sort of this constantly sort of finessing what we're going to shoot and exactly how we're going to shoot it to the last second
0: that's another shout out to connor
1: then yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) connor murphy first feature he's done two now but he's got a narrative brain a match made in heaven now the
0: film has some incredible practical special effects makeup effects we're going to do a deep dive of all of that right after this break stick around more with the pierce brothers on film forward If you like the music in our show, all songs are performed by the band Dub 8. Check out their new EP, Ayudame, available on iTunes and Spotify. All right, welcome back to Film Forward, everybody. We are talking with Brett Pierce and Drew Pierce. They are the directors of the film The Wretched, which has some of the raddest practical effects you're going to see on the big screen this year. Let's let's kind of start at the top, guys. Talk to us about conceptualizing this monster, this hag that you guys have in your film, which is pretty damn
1: horrifying, this thing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we um, obviously, conceptually, we knew we wanted to do kind of our own unique sort of take on the witch. And mm-hmm. we had we had looked at a lot of cool like witch mythology and different sort of designs throughout time because there's so many varied cool ideas of what witches are. And we found a couple that we were really interested in. There was one called that I really like called the Boo Hag, which was essentially like a slip skin hag. Takes off her skin at night and would basically walk around like this meaty <laughs> sort of creature. And, uh, you know, these sort of legends about they would salt her skin and she would put it back on and burn alive. And we liked that visual. We thought that was so cool. And this other one was Black Annis or Black Annie. It's this uh, English folklore, whatever, witch mythology about this blue faced hag with like sharp teeth. And she lived under a tree and she was just sort of this like ancient creature witch. So we kind of took those two and melded them together to try and come up with the aesthetic. And then I just did a bunch of sketches and concepts and because that's from my background and kept developing them. And, you know, Brett would tell me what he liked, what he didn't like. He's the biggest critic. And we would kind of like look at other people's designs and incorporate sort of the things from different, you know, which mythology we thought were cool. And then we ultimately brought it to our makeup team, Bite Mares, who we brought on, led by Eric Porn, his uh, real name. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he uh, he helped, he did like a little sort of like 3D sculpt initially because he was kind of into that and we sort of refined that a little bit and then ultimately we He started building sort of sculpts based on the cast of the the actress that we had cast. He would, because I'm an artist, he would sculpt the sort of roughly what the designs are that we sort of created. And then he would sculpt, and there was this cool collaboration because he'd send pictures of his sculpt, like different pictures from different angles. And I would sketch over top sort of things that I thought would help sort of enhance the design or make it work in kind of a practical way. So it was this cool collaboration, just kind of like this back and forth, like constantly refining and trying to get something that worked on camera because the the big challenge to practical makeup effects is anytime you do a creature that's practical you just don't want it to look like a person in a suit you don't want it to be like oh i see the actor underneath there's the creature you're trying to find ways to sort of make it look inhuman and i think we achieved that Yeah, Drew was really good, and and, and Eric understood this too, but Drew was really good at working with the actual anatomy of the actress, Madeline Stunkel, who's playing the Wretch. He would just like, I mean, some areas of the makeup are like so barely thin and just a paint job because Drew would be like, you know, we want to embrace the fact that her mid-torso is so thin, we don't want to build it up. You know, we don't want it to feel chunky or blocky, you know. And like with her face, like obviously it's it's a female which Drew would be very insistent. And the same thing with me, I would always look at it. it's like you don't want to build up too heavily on the face, because then it starts to look more masculine and less feminine. So there was a lot of adjusting like the mouth area and the cheeks mm-hmm. and figuring out where we can shave down and bring the not making the forehead protrude too much just enough to make it feel a little inhuman or different so i mean it was it was a really cool collaboration just because it just felt like we were getting to be little kids and play and make a monster with you know with a monster maker with mm-hmm. eric so i mean it was it was really really great and we really wanted i mean a lot of the the look of the wretch in the, in the final design it's inspired by a lot of classic witches in mythology like drew mentioned black annie but there's another one called jenny greenfingers or green teeth i'm forgetting the name but we we basically wanted them it, it, if you saw the wretch we wanted you to be reminded of hag-like creatures that you may have be familiar with in various folklore so that it felt like a general which we were all kind of familiar with because also what was important to us and this has been divisive with people that watch the movie is drew and i really don't like horror movies that kind of spell out absolutely everything i like you to sh- i like horror films that visually tell me as much as possible and keep the exposition to a minimum or just exactly what they need be so, we wanted to visually kind of t- tell you all the rules as much as possible and kind of convey the idea that this is a witch by just the look of her as much as possible. So, that was that was like the real big attempt is to like pull off things as much visually in her design and the way we presented her in you know the storyboarding and stuff that you would understand how she works without us having to say, like, you know, the notorious line in Freddy versus Jason, which is a movie I love. is. Well, they're, they're talking about like defeating Freddy versus Jason, and this girl comes like, uh, Freddy died by fire. Jason died by water. How can we use that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we didn't want that moment, you know, because it just, yeah. You know? And I love it in that movie. It's perfect for that movie because that movie's ridiculous and amazing. But when you're trying to get people to buy into like horror and say, oh, this could actually happen or try to make it feel kind of real, it's better if the corners and the ideas. And the mystery is still there a little bit. Like, you can fill it in, but it's not 100% spelled out, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like if somebody thinks about it a lot, they might be able to figure out sort of what the rules are exactly. But if, I, I, I think one of the scenes we we sort of struggled with the longest because of that is the there's sort of a scene where they learn a little bit about the witch, and trying to figure out a way to write that scene, it's it's such a horror trope. Like, the moment where, like, we didn't want to do the scene where, like, somebody in town shows up and is like, ah, I've been dealing with this my whole life. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> right. 100 uh, years ago, they've, they've got a book and they're like, yeah, here's here's this special book that gives you the things. So we kind of did a very busted down version that explains just little pieces. And it's kind of on a rinky dink. This is The other challenge is we didn't want to set it in the past. So we we're like, you know, the first thing I would do would be to search online. So we did sort of this online research scene, but we kept it as brief as possible. And we tried to make it like, he happens to find a site through his own clever, Sort of like the idea we came up with that we loved was like that he reversed Google Im- image searches, like a symbol that he took to find this rinky-dink website. But it's like the most obscure, terrible blog that some some you know fool put together at some point. It looks like something out of like the early 2000s, like a bad sort of blog about witches and called Wikipedia. Um, so it's it's us trying to like subvert that trope as much as possible because it's sort of something that most people want some information, and I think leaving it out would have been kind. Of too much but we also wanted to be as vague and sort of at least poke fun at that concept and it's also kind of like as much as like we poked fun of it it's kind of a real thing because yes we had to create our own website but the website and all of that stuff that we kind of see in the writing is mostly stuff that you can actually find online in regards to like the boohag or black yeah <laughs> so <Right>. so <laughs> it's kind of what you, exactly what you would find if you went online typed in you know, like Boo Hag or Black Annie, you know, so, so we're like, it's kind of real, you know, there's <laughs> a couple really authentic, crazy videos of people talking about the Kaliak, the Boo Hag, that Black Annie, all these different witches of people online, just like passionately talking about them, not necessarily like they exist, but just believing that they sort of have existed or something. Or, like, you know, people got burned alive at one point. Yeah, enjoying um, the folklore of it all. Yeah, Yeah. I think in in our minds, in some ways, like, we thought, like, man, it would be cool, but this would just be a slog is to try and get. I wish we could get some of these fanatical people and just, like, just montage several of them talking about this stuff. Like, that'd be (laughs) funny. (laughs) (laughs) Like the weirdos on YouTube that are just obsessed. Continuing
0: on with the uh you know with your guys effects and your guys creature creation. Talk to us about working with Eric Porn and all the special effects makeup. Some of the gags are really really fantastic
1: like
0: <laughs> you know, one of my favorite ones is when she's like you see her hand come out of the skin. Oof, it just it looked amazing. Um yeah. how did you guys pull off some of these terrific effects on on a budget and not only on a budget but like as you guys know like when you're shooting movies in A small town, not everything's readily available. You know, like if you're shooting in LA, you know, there's dozens of prop houses, makeup shops, you know, equipment places. You know, like when you're shooting in a small town in Michigan, if something goes wrong, which it always does, uh, you know, when you're working with creatures and stuff, how did you guys overcome some of those obstacles?
1: A lot of it was Eric Horn. kind of, he's got a place based out here in Canoga Park where Bite Mares is. And he was prepping everything out here in California and he kind of packed up a mini version of his studio after, you know, doing the heavy lifting of the molds and the designs out here. And he brought everything back to Michigan and kind of create unfortunately, not the most ideal situation for him. He was like in this, we crammed him in this little Garage <laughs> with the other person that was working on makeup, and so it was not—you know—it wasn't a great space, but that's where he was kind of stuck building it. But he prepped so well that it was never a problem of being short of something right there. Because, I mean, that's one of the, the hallmarks of effects guys complain that they don't have the pre-production and lead-up time to work on things enough. It's always a little too last minute because the budget's not there to do it. Um, not that we had a big budget, but. We went to Eric very early on with designs and talking about it and giving him the lead-up time to it to get everything to a good place and to do the prep. So when it came to actually doing the practical effects, um, it was it was kind of all he was ready to go all the time. He was great, and we just were because we had storyboarded the movie uh, so thoroughly. Another complaint that practical effects guys have is that lots of times they'll make a monster or do some sort of practical effect and they're told, hey, we're only going to look at it from this direction. So they designed it <laughs> to look really good because it's, it's really impossible to make something look good from all directions and practical effects. You know, you, It's just like, and it's unnecessary because lots of times only a small portion of it makes it into the movie. So we would say, this is what you're going to see, Eric. You're not going to see the other side. You're not going to see this part of it, blah, blah. So just design it to look really good from this angle. And he would, and then we would shoot it that way. And we made sure not to cover his stuff in ways where it didn't work or wasn't complementary to the work. Yeah. We storyboarded the effect sequences first and sent him probably like three or four pages of boards, you know, maybe like 10, 15 boards on a page. And they were, they were only the sort of shots he was responsible for. Here's three shots in sequence of what we need for this moment. Here's three shots at this moment. So he knew exactly every little detail of what he was creating for what effect for each bit. That's very smart. Very smart. And I mean, yeah, of course, you end up shooting maybe one additional shot because you and the effects guy discover when you're there it actually does look good from this angle. But you don't want to bet on that because it it doesn't. Because practical effects honestly are kind of like magic; they look better than anything when they Mm work. Drew and I joke about like when you watch the movie and you see the practical effects or the wretch. I mean, you're seeing it for little, you know, two to five second increments. It's because it only looks good for that amount of time. Like probably if you go one second pass where we cut, you know, somebody's like fingertip falls off, or, <laughs> or something something doesn't right. work right, or it just looks goofy in a strange way. Well there's such a rhythm to people's eyes. Like everybody tends to read films in the exact same way. Like our eyes go to the same spot and the same rhythms. And it's it's sort of finding the perfect edit too for those sequences where like people just get a glimpse of the thing and one frame can make a difference sometimes to make people Go from like, I'm intrigued and I want to see more to, oh, is that just the, is that the creature or is that the thing? You know, it's sort of finding that perfect amount that teases the audience and gets them more excited for each following shot. Now,
0: here's the million dollar question for both of you. Which, which effect,
1: which practical effect in the film are each of you most proud of? Oh man, that's tough. Oh boy. I mean, mine is definitely the one you mentioned where she basically comes out of the body. Mm-hmm. That's something I was so excited about from the beginning. It's so gnarly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we, you know, we didn't have the biggest budget, but we sort of had like the one plan was like, we'll build this false floor and do a fake body. And this whole elaborate thing, we were shooting it. In the early morning, I think it was like twelve. It was like it was like around. It was like running up to like noon because we had shot all through the night and ran out of time. So it was just surreal to shoot this. <laughs> that sequence was 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 so much fun. Yeah, I think mine is probably the wretch crawling out of the deer off the back of the truck. That was just something that we had written in the script very early on that I was in love with from the get-go. It was one of the reasons I wanted to make the movie. It was just visually in my head. And not that it was even the most complicated thing in the world. I mean, the complicated part was, you know the deer carcass <laughs> but right. i just loved it so much and that was one of the first times we got to do one of the bigger effects when we were shooting so i think it was one of those times where everybody on set got really excited because when you do a special effect kind of brings everybody out of the woodwork like every department comes out to watch all the actors watch everybody just enjoys it and you get this like giddy feeling of like being a little kid and kind of watching your favorite movies <laughs> you know i don't know totally I just loved it So that was probably one of, that was the one that I probably just had the most fun on when we did it. Yeah.
0: Going off what you were just saying, Brett, that's, that's what I love. I love practical effects. One, just because like, to me, they're more believable than the CG. uh, But also for that reason, like, like you just said, when you're on set, like everybody comes out to see it, not only because it's awesome, but like to make a great effect shot work, it takes the village, you know, it takes everybody, you know, everybody's, got a a piece of that of that shot you know within their departments it's really fun and on top of that you know like when you're making horror there's something to be said for having like a practical monster or practical effects that just make it like scarier you know there's there's a little bit more of that uh, like intensity and magic on the set whether you know rather than like looking at a stick with a green ball you know at the end of it
1: oh yeah And I think the audience can feel it because there's a magic trick quality when you watch anything. All the movies from the '80s, they're all practical. Mm -hmm. And like when you watch those movies, you kind of don't know how they. Even like if you think about like stuff like ET, it's like sometimes it would just be the puppet hands, and then they'd have the head show up on another side. And then they had to design the shots and everything around sort of like what didn't look terrible. Yeah, (laughs) And, and the audience. Can, I think they can feel that craftsmanship and that time and that sort of thought, and it kind of makes it exciting to sort of watch, even though you're believing that it's real, there's sort of this like magic trick, like every shot is sort of a different technique, whereas when when 3D is done, you're like, oh, they hit, I mean, it's it takes really talented people to make 3D look good, so I don't want to undersell that. Like, 100%, yeah. But it's always the same technique. It's like make the rendering work really well, like, you know, show it. And you have to like show things in pieces when you're doing practical effects typically. And I also think one of the movies we all laud for CG effects so much and everybody goes back to it is the original Jurassic Park. And there's so many reasons that movie works. But part of the reason like that people kind of forget is yes, that was a big advent for CG effects. But Stan Winston's Creature Shop did All these amazing practical dinosaur things that are kind of like in so many shots and will be like in between, just like, you know, the T-Rex's foot sinking into the mud, the compies bouncing around. I mean, honestly, the raptors and the raptor's feet like clicking the claw on the floor. Having those inserts of practical elements mixed with the CG is honestly one of the things that makes Jurassic Park so terrifying and effective. I think I think it also comes out of Spielberg had to learn how to shoot everything with practical effects. He he's sort of the most underrated like horror director of all time because he made so many horror, you know, terrifying moments. He sort of learned how to shoot things in ways that made practical effects work, and I think he brought he shot the CG and the, the stuff. The same way you would shoot a practical effect, like sort of as a reveal or as like a payoff, and he, he sort of used it in a minimal way. And I've even noticed, like I saw the BFG, I was watching it with my son the other day, and he doesn't have that gear quite as much. Like he's just kind yeah. of like here's the giants. Like let me just show you this now, and it's it, you can feel that he's just relying on the the CG. But like I think that that sort of that that um, handicap of not being able to just show it is such an advantage for the imagination of the audience. Absolutely. I agree. Well, gentlemen, we can, we can talk about practical effects,
0: I think, probably for <laughs> another four hours. But we'll move on to our last segment. Before we do that, just I want to congratulate you guys on a, a great horror film. A great job. Uh, I'm super happy for you guys. And if you guys would like to see The Wretched, it is still playing right now at drive-ins all across the country. And if you're in LA, it's playing at the Mission Tiki in Montclair through May 14th. The film is also available to rent or buy on VOD. Stick around. We're going to take one more break. When we come back, Drew and Brett are going to help us out with our favorite segment, Gimme Three. What's up, everybody? Here's another edition of Cinephile News. News for all you cinephiles out there. Comedic actor Fred Willard passed away this week at the age of 86, and he had a long and accomplished career. Just a few of his many memorable roles were in This Is Spinal Tap, which is my personal favorite, Anchorman, For Your Consideration, and Best in Show. Have yourself a Fred Willard Film Festival this week. You won't regret it. You'll have lots of smiles and laughter, which we can all use right now. We also lost an extremely talented writer, director, producer in Lynn Shelton, who passed away at the young age of 54. Shelton was an Independent Spirit Award winner. She had an impressive catalog of films and also enjoyed a healthy career in television working on such shows as Mad Men, Glow, and The Morning Show. Over 20 notable film festivals from around the world have joined together to stream movies free on YouTube. This comes after the coronavirus pandemic resulted in the cancellation of annual showcases worldwide. The virtual festival will kick off on May 29th and will run until June 7th. It will feature programming by festivals such as Cannes, Sundance, Toronto International Berlin International, Tribeca, and Venice. Viewers will also be able to make donations to the World Health Organization's COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund. And for some good news, we are happy to announce that The Wretched once again led the weekend box office for the third week in a row. So enough for me, let's hear more from The Wretched's creators. All right, everybody, welcome back to Film Forward. We are diving into our favorite segment that is Give Me Three, where our guests give us three recommendations, film or television, that have inspired them or inspired their work. And this is a special edition because we have two guests, so it's really Give Me Six, but (laughs) we're still going to call it Give Me Three because Give Me Six don't rhyme. So Drew, why don't you start us off with your first one?
1: I don't know what my first one was, but I'll say, (laughs) I'll say Empire of the Sun. It's probably my favorite film of all time. It's a Spielberg movie that most people have not seen, but I think it's like one of the most beautiful sort of, ah, God, just lyrical movies of all time. I think it's like, it it, it was made at a time when I think Spielberg, everybody wanted him to do like the, the fun sort of alien movie that he had made in ET and he wanted to be a serious filmmaker, like all of his buds. Yeah. Everybody was like, You're not a serious filmmaker. Go back to making your fun, silly, you know, action adventure movies. But for me, for my money, I think it's just one of the best movies of all time. I love it so much. It's so,
0: it's, it's really
1: underrated. And I I think it
0: it might be my favorite of his films. It's so powerful
1: and emotional, right? Like it just, it hits me in a way that I don't know. People gave it a hard time because how sort of, I think how it's, it's almost, trying too hard to like influence the audience but i just think it works so well it's like i think it's christian bale's first movie is it yeah it might be Yeah, yeah the score is amazing everything about that movie um if you haven't seen empire of the sun it's um it's it's amazing it's worth checking out and it's it's like you
0: said it's it's kind of forgotten about just because it came like smack dab in the middle of him doing a bunch of you know big blockbuster classics that yeah. uh, you know, people kind of don't, don't really talk about it anymore.
1: All right, Mr. Brett, let's get your first one. My first one is John Carpenter's Halloween. I think Halloween, is, it's a perfect movie for me. Um, as I'm sure it is for a lot of people. <laughs> but I think also as I've gotten older and made films, I'm so inspired by what they pulled off with so little and such a short period of time, such a small budget with the people they had. It's just, and it's a a testament to like never kind of giving up in my mind too, because they made the film. There's a lot of reasons why it shouldn't have worked. Like even when John Carpenter finished it and he showed it to a bunch of people didn't have score. Everyone told him how terrible it was and it wasn't scary at all. Then he did the score and yeah, people liked it better, but he he took it on the road to show to people. And even for a little while, nobody cared that much until I think it was uh, Roger Ebert compared it to Psycho. And, you know, it, it's, it's a testament to kind of like independent filmmaking because it's in everybody's brain now because you know, we've had a billion sequels and Blumhouse has remade it a big budget version of it that like, this is like a Hollywood movie, but it wasn't at all. I mean, it's kind of like people beating the system and absolutely, I love that aspect of it, but it's also just, it, it is such a, a, a simple, but amazing movie from script and story to um, visual storytelling um, I love that it's shot on anamorphic lenses. I love that there's so many wides in the movie and it still creeps me out to this day. It's just a movie. i I respect everything about it and I love it and I watch it every Halloween and I probably watch it at least five, six times outside of that in the year. There's just it's it's a pure movie for me. <laughs> it, it It's
0: in my top five favorite scores of all time, I think it's just I can't I can't get enough of it. Okay, Mr. Drew, let's get your second one
1: think my second one was Evil Dead 2 yeah that movie is just bonkers for me (laughs) kind of hit me in a way when I was kind of you know just kind of getting into like obsessing over film and becoming a cinephile and it's just one of those movies that every scene is surprising from the last like if you watch that movie I don't care if you watch it today there's nothing that's expected. You're just like you don't know what's going to happen the next scene, and it's like it's it's so just full of creativity. Like even if you're not a horror fan, it's it's and it's horror comedy. It's just so imaginative the way that they do everything, the the way they do all the practical effects. Um, you can just feel the crew and the people killing themselves to make that movie. Every scene you watch, because you can every every shot feels like it's a magic trick. We were talking about practical effects, but even the shots that aren't practical effects. That's sort of the magic of Sam Raimi. is he's like, oh, well, we're not doing a big effect here. Let's see if we can make the camera twist way up into the air and spin 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> everything is, it's like he just picked the most difficult ways to shoot everything and it's all awesome. It's yeah. like it's like so much energy. Um, yeah, and it's just one of my favorite horror movies um, and movies in general.
0: When I saw your guys' first film, Deadheads. I was like, oh, this has a uh, this feels like Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2. It had that kind of like sense of fun, you know, that's yeah. like horror mixed with comedy as we were talking about earlier. I think it's like it's just like one of the best combinations to put in film because it creates a lot of endorphins and it's just a really
1: fun roller coaster ride. Okay, Mr. Brett, let's get your second one. My um, second one is Never Ending Story. I love that movie. For so many different reasons. I mean, betray uh, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, I mean, it harkens back to me as a kid, and I still kind of feel this way even as an adult. Is I'm just constantly dreaming of fantasy, just like you know, like horror films, fantasy films, all this stuff, and kind of the want to escape as a kid has kind of never left me. So that movie has always had a, a big hold on me, but. I mean, as I've gotten older, what I love about it too is we sometimes, like I was saying with Halloween, we see these films that we just accept as part of like the classic films that everybody should always love, but I'm like, Never Ending Story is a weird movie. It's a really weird movie. I mean, and it has a weird narrative structure. It's a story within a story (laughs) structure. It's this kid who's reading a book and then communicating with somebody who's in another fantasy world and is it happening or isn't it happening? I love all those elements. I think they're so unique and cool. And other movies have tried to walk that walk but not nearly as well for me i feel like it's just the ultimate wish fulfillment for my brother it's like a biopic because he (laughs) he just loved his stories and wanted to like you know fly on a dragon and get back at the bullies that were picking on him for like (laughs) yeah yeah and i love but you know the other thing too is like it's what we wanted to infuse in the wretched to a point and wretched is definitely darker but like kids movies had scary elements man Mm -hmm. the wolf never ending story that terrified me The nothing was terrifying the part where he's passing past like the the gates with those like angel things that i mean all these things were weird and creepy and this movie was aimed at children the leads were children like we drew and i even with the wretched sometimes people are a little like we get a little bit of heat from people because they're like oh i I don't like this movie because it's about teenagers and i'm like well you know you can tell scary stories or you know, creepy horror stories with kids. It's fine. And it's, it's just a different type of horror story and it's fun. And sometimes it adds to the horror, you know, it, it adds tension. Yeah. Yeah. Who can't protect themselves more than like children and teenagers as opposed to an adult. So it's actually, I mean, in a weird way, I think it's harder to write a story about an adult in danger because adults are supposed to be smart enough to realize that ghosts aren't real. Right. You know? right. <laughs> so we're like a kid would happen to buy into it more and probably dive into it deeper. But um, yeah, Never Ending Story is just, it's all magic all the way through. And I, you know, I, it's another one that I can't stop watching and will always influence the things I want to make.
0: Great choice. Great choice.
1: All right, we are
0: into our third one now. Mr. Drew, let's get your third one.
1: My third is this. It's like a Spanish psychological thriller. I think it's called Sleep Tight. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a film I saw at on the festival trail. We saw it at Fright Fest years back, and it just had such an effect on me. I'm usually not the big as much as I'm like kind of a cinephile, and I love you know movies. I'm not always the person that's like you have to watch the subtitle movie, but this one and this one has subtitles. It's so worth it. It's it feels like a modern day. Hitchcock movie. I think this one actually probably had more influence on The Wretched than even, you know, a lot of the Hitchcock stuff that people talk about, Rear Window and these movies, because the the way, the pace of this movie and the suspense reminds me of classic Hitchcock, but sort of updated. It's the premise, it's sort of this unfolding terrifying thriller that I don't want to spoil too much, but if you get a chance, to check it out. it's But it's basically this, um, this woman who's being terrorized by somebody who basically comes into her apartment and sleeps underneath her bed. And when she goes to sleep, he gets basically wanders around and sort of terrorizes her in her apartment and does all sorts of nasty things. It creeped me out. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. It's just such a cool movie. (laughs) It's even funny that you kind of sometimes vote for the creepy person. And that's you don't want him to get caught. It's it's great. (laughs) Yeah. People talk about Breaking Bad, how they're like, God, I started. I was empathizing with Walter White and it was like season three and I felt icky. This guy is terrible in Sleep Tight. And I felt for him the entire movie is he's the worst human you could possibly imagine i'm like oh man i hope he doesn't get caught (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is a miracle it's um it's just a really cool movie that i've i've never really heard anybody talk about and it just had such an effect on me for
0: yeah i'm excited i haven't seen it so i'm gonna check it out sleep
1: tight all right adding it to my list all right mr brett the third and final My last one is probably my favorite movie of the last 10 years, which people give me crap for all the time, but it's uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, the third Planet of the Apes film that was uh, recently put out a couple years ago, I guess. I, it's a perfect movie for me, and it's a weird, it's a trilogy of films where I like each one better, and this one was just the capper for it. But what I love about it is it's because the fact that the, most of the characters in the movie that occur, in this one more than any of the other ones, they're almost all apes and most of them speak very little or not at all that it forces the movie to be more visual than most films you know so they have to convey things so much visually without people saying what's happening it's speaking of foreign language films it should have won best foreign film <laughs> 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 yeah it should have won <laughs> best for foreign, foreign language film or something. For the yeah. yeah i mean woody harrelson's in it and he's great and he's he talks and stuff but It's beautiful. There's so many visual sequences that are just amazing and Michael Giacchino's score mixed with that. There's so many times in the movie I was just so emotionally involved with something that I honestly don't care about. And I honestly rallied against Planet of the Apes movies because, like, you know, you're a kid. My dad was obsessed with them, so I was always like, those are stupid. You know, he watched all the original ones. So I didn't want to like these movies and I love War for the Planet of the Apes. Every sequence is is beautiful and you know we we've been like praising practical effects this is one of the movies where the digital effects just like completely destroy (laughs) everything they're beautiful and perfect they're shot the movie's shot on anamorphic lenses with digital effects with believable cg characters um it's just absolutely uh it's a gorgeous movie and it's bittersweet and i love it and it's it's matt reeves is he shot up to like you know, after the last two Planet of the Apes movies, I I couldn't be more excited that he's making a Batman movie because he's like he's like my number one working director right now. That if he makes something, I'm going to go see it.
0: <laughs> I didn't see this one. I only saw the first one of this trilogy, and I was oh I was really yeah. impressed with the CG and the uh, you know the ape creation and that uh, that was one where I was like wow. You
1: owe it to yourself, man. Watch two and three. They're both directed by Matt Reeves. Okay, and cool. I really enjoyed the first one and I liked it. The second and third one are really good. Like they get better. Like two is like you're like, wow, this is fantastic. And then three, you're like, this is amazing. You know, so they're they're definitely worth a watch. They're it, it's uh, you know it, it's kind of that. Yeah, I know it's a big studio movie, but honestly, I think it's the best kind of you know popcorn you know franchise of movies in the last like you know 20 years you know <laughs> so yeah well you you got me when you you talk about the the no dialogue i'm a huge fan
0: still of silent films and i like when modern films you know have very little dialogue and like you said use visuals To tell the story. It's an art that's kind of like fallen by the wayside nowadays.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everybody's always in love and I love good dialogue, but I'm the weirdo and I I don't like to say it, uh, especially when like, you know, I'm standing next to an actor. But I'm always kind of like, hey, man, if we can get rid of the dialogue, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I get excited about that. Less is more (laughs)
0: sometimes. Less is more. Gentlemen, those are an excellent six choices thank you so much for helping us out with that segment and once again thank you for joining us it was uh it was great catching up with you guys and uh great chatting about your film the wretched
1: man really appreciate it yeah that was fun
0: once again check it out it is playing at drive-ins all over the country and available to rent or buy on vod drew and brett pierce can't wait to see what you guys come up with next for all you listeners out there thank you for joining us once again on another episode of film forward Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward,
1: and you'll hear us next time.